Please turn with me in the scriptures now to the book of Revelation, Revelation 19, and our text today is verses 6 through 10. Uh, Revelation 19, uh, 6 through 10. So, Babylon has been overthrown, as we saw last week. There is the sound of rejoicing in heaven over Babylon's destruction by the Lord. We pick up now with these songs of hallelujahs in verse 6. Our text will go from verse 6 down through verse 10. Let's now hear uh, God's word. Uh, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come And his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. This ends this reading in uh, God's Word. Let's now look once again to the Lord uh, in prayer. Lord, our uh, God and Heavenly Father, we uh, pray that light would shine from your Word this day. Indeed, here gathered in this place is your bride, Lord Jesus. They desire to hear the voice of their bridegroom speak to them of this coming wedding day. O Lord, our God, speak. And so stir our hearts that we would rejoice in the things that are said. O Lord, instruct us and cause us to say hallelujah with the saints and the angels in heaven. We pray in Jesus' name. Uh, Amen. Well, it was exactly a week ago uh, today that as a congregation we were uh, transported into this heavenly assembly at the time of the return of our Lord Jesus Christ or just prior to it as they sing out words of praise and adoration. Hallelujah. Praise to the Lord. And they were great and glorious words as we 
hear of a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven that is saying these words. And last week we saw that these were words of praise because of the climactic act of damnation and the overthrow of worldly Babylon. This Babylon, which had so corrupted this world and had been set against the Lord, indeed the Lord has gone forth in judgment against her. Hallelujah. Well, if there was reason last week for praise in the destruction of Babylon, how much more reason is there in the words that we are going to read today? You'll notice that verse 6 begins by saying that, as it were, the, uh, uh, the loud noise, the, the volume of praise which was being offered to God last week is now even reached to a higher level that here is a voice of a great multitude. Think of all the cherubim and seraphim that fill those heavenly courts and that have served God from the time of their creation. And added to that is the voice of those redeemed uh, saints. And together they cry out, and they cry out with a sound that is greater than any noise that you have ever heard. It is described here as a roar of Many waters and a sound of mighty peals of thunder. Waterfalls and thunder one upon another. And together this voice cries out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. It's a word of praise and adoration over the saving work of God. If God is to be praised in his work of judgment, then how much more even is he to be praised in his work of salvation? God reigns over all. Now there's a sense certainly in which God has reigned uh, from all eternity. But with the coming of Jesus Christ, he has now defeated sin and death and Satan. And he has established his kingdom of grace. And he has gathered his people to himself. And now this kingdom of grace is about to be consummated. And so with this moment of consummation, it is a moment of praise in the reign of Almighty God. Here, God reigns. He is to be praised. Well, how is this reign of God over his kingdom expressed? Well, they say in verse 7, let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. Here's the picture for the marriage of the lamb has come. It's ultimately a word of praise and of adoration in the coming reign of God, which is primarily expressed in this wedding day that takes place between the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the bridegroom, and the whole redeemed church of God, which is his bride. Heaven is rejoicing in in, in, in a volume of praise that we cannot imagine over this coming marriage supper of the Lamb. 
So that's going to be our theme. Even as heaven is rejoicing over this, we ourselves ought to be caught up in this, of, what, of, of this coming great wedding day. We're going to look at it under three different headings. Uh, first of all, we're going to see the bridegroom's pursuit culminated on the marriage day. The bridegroom's pursuit culminated on the marriage day. Secondly, we're going to consider the bride's preparation for the marriage day. And thirdly, we're going to consider our invitation to the marriage day. So the bridegroom's pursuit culminated on the marriage day, the bride's preparation for the marriage day, and then thirdly, our invitation to this marriage day. Well, first of all, we're going to see out of verse 7 here, the bridegroom's pursuit that is culminated on the marriage day. There is a reason for their rejoicing, and the reason that they are rejoicing and exalting and giving God the glory is, verse 7, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. Here, with the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, the day of this wedding has finally arrived. Well, what is this talking about? Well, I think it's helpful at this point for us to understand something of, uh, of, of, um, of, of Hebrew culture and of what led up to a wedding day in uh, the Hebrew culture, because that is actually then mirrored in what uh, the Lord, it's it's, it's a picture of what the Lord has done for his people. The wedding day was actually the final step of a groom's long pursuit of a bride. And in uh, the uh, biblical times, uh, uh, the whole uh, marriage actually began uh, several months before the marriage day, and it began with a betrothal. Now, a betrothal was similar to what we would call an engagement, but it was more binding. Uh, The groom would enter into an agreement with the bride's father, uh, settling on a purchase price or a dowry for his daughter. And then, in the presence of many witnesses, this agreement would be made, a covenant would be made, and the bride would be consecrated or set apart from the groom, and God's blessing would be pronounced upon the union. And from that day, from the moment of their betrothal, they are actually legally husband and wife. So to break that agreement was tantamount to divorce. If one of them were to die, the other one is actually considered widowed. They are legally married when they are betrothed, but don't yet live together. The marriage is not yet consummated. But then after that betrothal, there then is an interval at that, po- at that moment. And at great cost to himself, the bridegroom then goes and secures the dowry in order to pay it to the bride's father. And in this, the payment of the dowry here, the marriage is secured. So both bride and groom can joyfully anticipate and prepare for that time when they shall finally be brought together. 
Well, after that interval is ended, at the end of the betrothal, the bridegroom then uh, uh, inaugurates that wedding day. He dresses in his fanciest attire and makes his way, attended by his best man and other friends, to the bride's home. Everyone knew roughly when the groom would come, but they didn't know the exact day or hour. And so when he arrives, it is uh, uh, accompanied by a shout, Here is the bridegroom. Come out. Come out to meet him. And so then, with great joy, the bride, who is veiled, and accompanied by her own maidens carrying lamps, would then come out to meet the groom and the attendants of the groom. And at that moment, that wedding day, then the feast would begin. And it was a giant feast. The receptions wouldn't last just a few hours, but days upon days, usually a week or even two weeks long, in which everyone would celebrate. And this bride and the groom would finally be together, living together, Uh, as a husband and wife. Well, dear friends, this is a beautiful picture of the way that the Lord Jesus Christ pursues his bride, uh, the church. Uh, We read all the way in the Old Testament uh, that the scripture portrays the relationship of God to his people as that of a husband to his bride. And so in Isaiah 54 and verse uh, 6 there, it says this, excuse me, verse 5, For your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. That the one who made us has now become our husband, redeeming us and uh, uh, bringing us to himself. But as the the, uh, the people of God, we are in a state of betrothal to the Lord. And the Lord pays the dowry for us at great cost to himself. And of course, that is uh, by the death of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, that he has taken us to himself to be his bride. He has, in the words of Ephesians 5, loved the church and given himself for her. So the dowry has been paid, the debt that we owed uh, has been uh, secured, and we are now betrothed to our Lord, waiting the coming day. We've been given the Holy Spirit, uh, who you can think of as almost a kind of engagement ring, that the Holy Spirit is uh, that, uh, uh, that, I, uh, that down payment, that a security, that we belong to the Lord, that we are His and that He is ours, that we are married to Him. But we yet await that coming great wedding day that will happen at the time of Christ's uh, return. And that's what is spoken of here in Revelation uh, 19. Uh, This day when our bridegroom, the Lord, will come and take us to Himself. Isn't that what we actually read Jesus himself saying in John chapter 14? As he gathered his disciples in that upper room the night before his crucifixion, and he said to them, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you? 
uh, that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. That our bridegroom, the Lord Jesus, is ready to come and to take us to himself as, uh, as, he, is our, uh, 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 as he is our husband. And so Christ's return is that moment that will consummate our marriage with him. We are already his bride. He is married to us already. We are betrothed to him. But yet we wait that coming wedding day. And that wedding day then will have a couple of characteristics. On the one hand, it will then become a day of great intimacy. A day of intimacy. You, know, you think of how the Bible describes the relationship of a, of, a, 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 of a husband and wife. That the two, the Bible says, shall become one flesh. That there is no greater relationship of human intimacy than that of a, of a, of a, of a man and his wife. Well, so the Lord uses this picture of a marriage to express the intimacy that we ourselves will experience uh, with the Lord. That when the Lord Jesus on that wedding day takes us, we will then have a direct, personal, intimate union with the Lord Jesus Christ that we will experience uh, there in, in glory. But not only is it a day of intimacy, It then becomes a day of festivity, too. It is a time, it is a feast, you'll notice. It is a time of uh, celebration. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him uh, the glory. Verse 9 describes it as uh, the marriage uh, supper of the Lamb. And just as a husband and wife would uh, 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 celebrate that wedding day with a great feast for all to rejoice so Our union with the Lord in heaven is going to be a time of perfect happiness. And it's going to be a feast that goes on not just one or two weeks, but a marriage supper of the Lamb that will go on uh, forever. We shall sit down and feast with our bridegroom. And so the point is here that when a Christ returns and the whole redeemed church of God Meets him. It shall be as a bride on that wedding day with her husband. Christ shall be our all in all. We shall know him as we have never known him uh, before. It shall be a day of happiness as there has never been happiness uh, before. We're going to sing in just a little while uh, the uh, hymn by uh, Samuel Rutherford. Uh, that Samuel Rutherford, a great Scottish. A pastor uh, in the 1600s uh, wrote a series of letters, and this hymn is based on some of the letters that he wrote while in prison. And it says, O Christ, he is the fountain, the deep, sweet well of love. The streams on earth I've tasted, more deep I'll drink above. There to an ocean fullness, his mercy doth expand, and glory, glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. The bride eyes not her garment, but her dear bridegroom's face. I will not gaze at glory, but on my King of grace.
not at the crown he gifteth, but on his pierced hand. The Lamb is all the glory of Emmanuel's Lamb. And friends, a passage like this teaches us what the glory of heaven is really all about. It isn't just about golden streets or a heavenly mansion. It isn't just about seeing loved ones who have departed before. I do think that we will know others in heaven, absolutely. Dear dear friends, in heaven, our greatest longing is going to be fulfilled, which is to meet with our heavenly bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all about Christ. Spurgeon puts it this way, Charles Spurgeon. He says about that moment, that wedding day, We dare not say that our Lord will love us more than he loves us now, but he will indulge his love for us more. He will manifest it more. We shall see more of it. We shall understand it better. It will appear to us as though he loves us more. He will lay open his whole heart and soul to us, with all its feelings and secrets and purposes, and allow us to know them as far as at least we can understand them. And it will conduce to our happiness to know them. The love of this hour will be the perfection of love. The marriage feast will be the feast, the triumph of love. The exalted Savior showing to the whole universe that He loves us to the utmost bound love can go. And we, loving him with a fervor, a gratitude, an adoration, a delight that are, that are new, even in heaven. Dear friends, to be married to Christ is to experience the delights of that day. What a great wedding day uh, there will be. So there we have seen the bridegroom's pursuit culminated in that marriage day, on that marriage day, when finally the Lord's pursuit of us, his bride, will reach its final culmination. But now secondly, I want us to consider the bride's preparation for the marriage day. We read of this at the end of verse 7 and then in verse 8, for we read that on that day, on that wedding day, that the bride has made herself ready. How? Well, it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. Well, what is this fine linen? Well, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Now, what a stunning contrast this is, is it not, to the way that Babylon, that prostitute, dressed herself. Do you remember uh, that back in uh, chapter 17? Uh, the woman, we, are, we read, the Babylon was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual uh, immorality. A Babylon dressed in a gaudy and alluring way, dresses in material possessions, dressed with wicked deeds. How different now for the bride of Christ, redeemed by Christ's precious blood. To her is given fine linen, glistening 
and pure to wear. And this symbolizes, we are told here, it symbolizes uh, the righteous deeds of the saints. That is, uh, the sanctified character of, uh, of the church. And so the bride, of course, is redeemed by the bridegroom. It is Christ who died for us so that our sin might be forgiven and we might be accounted righteous in Christ. That's our justification. But not only are we justified, then we are transformed, are we not? Inwardly, we are sanctified so that we can then live lives which are unto the Lord, no longer living for this world and the things that are in it, but rather living lives that increasingly look like Jesus Christ, performing good and righteous deeds as uh, saints. Now, and I cannot stress this enough, that these righteous deeds are not the basis for the bridegroom's acceptance of us. This isn't how we earn his favor. Rather, just the opposite is what we're told. It is said that it was granted us to to be clothed in this fine linen, bright and pure. That even the sanctification of the church her increasing holiness is something which the Lord, by His grace, works in us. Sanctification is the work of God's free grace in us. That where you see yourself delighting in the things of the Lord and saying no to sin, that is evidence of the grace of God at work in you. The Lord is granting you to do this. And nonetheless, we still have a responsibility says the bride has made herself ready. Dear friends, this is all pointing ultimately uh, to what is the case on that, on that wedding day, which is that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to sanctify us fully and present us to himself as a pure and spotless bride. Uh, we read that in Ephesians 5. Uh, 26 and 27, that tells us uh, about that. For there it says that not only has Christ loved the church and given himself uh, for her, but he says that he has done that in order to uh, uh, sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. But the promise is that on that wedding day, that you and I shall be made a perfect in holiness, that we shall be Uh, that we shall look like our bridegroom, that we shall then be on that day without blemish or spot or wrinkle. John Owen, uh, one of the things that he would call, uh, the Puritan John Owen, uh, called the Lord Jesus Christ is the great beautifier of souls. What an expression that is, that it is Christ who makes us uh, beautiful. And so how is it then that we should prepare for the coming of the Lord. That as we are, are uh, uh, the bride preparing for our coming wedding day, well, the best way that we can prepare for the wedding day 
is by living a godly life now. Just as a bride would try on her wedding, uh, wedding dress before the day uh, comes, so we ought to uh, try it on as well and seek by our lives to live the kind of lives that are pleasing to our bridegroom, the Savior. It means as well that as those who are married to him, that we would forsake all other lovers. This is why the Bible talks about sin as a kind of spiritual adultery against the Lord. He has redeemed us to himself to be his. We ought not to forsake him and to pursue the things of this world. We belong to our bridegroom, uh, the king. And so we are to put off all kinds of sinful behavior. Colossians uh, 3 uh, makes reference to these things. In Colossians uh, uh, 3, what we are to put off and what we are to put on. Get there. Colossians chapter 3. It says, uh, beginning in verse 8, But now you must put these all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And then it says, verse 12, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, even as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive, and above all these put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Just as a bride seeks to be beautiful for her husband on a wedding day, so you and I ought to seek the kind of beauty which the Lord desires and which the Lord is working in us, which is nothing less than the beauty of holiness, the beauty of a holy character. Are you preparing yourself for that coming wedding day? Uh, even that day when the Lord shall make us spotless like himself. But this moves us on now. Uh, thirdly and finally, I want us to see our invitation to the marriage day. Our invitation to the marriage day. It says then in verse 9, Well, the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Here the angel makes it personal, doesn't he? And he says to us, You are a blessed one if you are among those who have been invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Well, how is it that you and I receive an invitation to this supper? And it's an invitation not simply to be a spectator on this day, but an invitation to be the bride on this day. How is it that you and I have an invitation to this supper? Who has such an invitation? What qualifies you to come to this wedding? 
Well, I can say that it is no amount of money, it is no social standing, it is no level of education or intelligence, it is no kind of talent which secures for you an invitation to this wedding. It is none of the above. But rather, how is it that you are invited to this wedding? Well, it is by knowing and trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. It is by having faith in Christ now that you can be assured that you are part of that bride of Christ which he is redeeming and which he will enter into that near communion with on that wedding day. That is how the invitation is yours. So if you are not one who has placed a real trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, believing that you are a sinner in need of his grace, clinging to Jesus, then you have no invitation to that wedding day. You have no expectation that you will be there. But rather look to Jesus Christ now while it is the day of salvation. And trust in him. But if you are one who is looking to Jesus Christ, then what this is saying to you is that you do have an invitation to that marriage supper of the Lamb. And the, and the word here for invitation is stronger than just merely a, a take it or leave it. It's, a, it's the idea that uh, your entrance into this wedding is secure. It's yours. It's a sense of being called, of, of divine initiative that you are invited to this wedding as a bride. You have already been invited through faith in Jesus Christ, but your salvation is secure, and this wedding day is coming. So what that means for us is that as those of us who have this, uh, who have, uh, or, or who, who trust in Jesus Christ, we have this invitation, which means to this coming day, we ought to look with fervency and excitement. You know, when I, I remember back when I got engaged, October 3rd, 2000, uh, 2000 and better get it right, 2002. October 3rd, 2002. And you know, from October 3rd, 2002 to June 21st, 2003, in those eight and a half months that I was engaged uh, to Megan, I was in that position where, as it were, I had that wedding invitation in hand. And, and, and as, I, as I thought about my life, every day I had thoughts of Megan and of the coming wedding day. And, and what would I do? I would, I would talk to Megan on the phone. And we, we would talk about things, talk about the wedding, and we would talk about life after the wedding and what it's going to be to be married to one another. We would write letters uh, 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 to, to, to one another, okay? Um, I, we would make plans about what our, our life was, was going to look like. Every moment was lived, as it were, in expectation of that coming wedding. And no matter what other things happened to me that year, and I'm sure a lot of other things happened, that fact that I was soon going to be married overshadowed all of it. And it gave me a joy and an eagerness and an excitement. Well, dear friends, we live in such a moment 
right now. Like I said, it's our betrothal to Christ is more than just a mere engagement. We are already united to him. He is our husband. But it's with that same kind of eager expectation that we ought to be looking forward to the wedding day. So what does this mean for us? It means that you and I, we ought to talk to Christ now. We, we talk to our husband. How do we do that? We do that in prayer. We do that in song. It means that we ought to listen to what he has to say to us. How do we do that? We do it in his word, by reading his word. How do we commune with our husband? Do we not do it chiefly in these weekly assemblies of of worship where we are meeting with the other people who are also part of the bride of Christ? We aren't the bride alone. We're the bride with them, with the church. And so we gather together to hear what our bridegroom is saying to us and we get to speak words of love back to him. And he tells us as well to eat together at this supper that we're going to eat at in just a a few moments. Do you know that the Lord's Supper is a beautiful, wonderful anticipation of a coming wedding supper of uh, the Lamb? When Jesus instituted this supper in Matthew uh, chapter uh, Uh, 26 in verse uh, 29 he said uh, these words about it Uh, he said i tell you i will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when i drink it new with you in my father's kingdom that this supper that we gather around to eat and to drink is an anticipation of the wedding supper of the Lamb, with which we, which time we will commune uh, uh, with Him. And so, dear friends, we ought to meet. Uh, we ought to worship the Lord together in anticipation of of this day, and we ought to encourage one another that the day is coming. The marriage day is coming. That that when brothers and sisters are are are. are are tempted to, to be just simply engulfed in, in the things of this life and, and to lose their joy, we ought to remind them, yes, there are hard things now, but that wedding day is coming. Do not forsake the assembling together of yourselves, the scriptures say, and all the more as you see that day approaching. Or in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, when it tells us about uh, uh, the, the fact that uh, 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 of that final day when the Lord Jesus Christ is going uh, to return at the voice of an archangel and at the trumpet of God and that the dead in Christ shall rise first and then we shall all together be uh, with the Lord after speaking of that day which is nothing less than the wedding day of the church to its bridegroom then First Thessalonians 4 says therefore encourage one another with these So we ought often to be speaking to one another. Let's not forget that our wedding day is coming. That the marriage to the Lamb, the Lamb who gave himself for us, is soon coming. So let's press on. Press on. These are glorious words. In fact, the words are so glorious here that something very strange happens in verse 10. We're told that the Apostle John, who received these things, suddenly falls down at the feet of the angel to worship him. 
let's say, what was going on in John's mind here? Well, it was simply this. I think he was so caught up in the glories of what was being revealed that he then suddenly was tempted to, re- to worship the one who was bringing such a glorious message because it was so great. He was so swept up in the grandeur of this vision. And you and I, as it were, ought to be so swept up in the grandeur of this vision that we are given that perhaps even the same temptation would, would come to us as it was uh, to John. And John hears this language, though, that he says, but you must not do that. Don't worship a fellow angel. I am one of your brothers who simply holds... Uh, uh, I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers who holds to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. And then it says, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. In other words, all of prophecy primarily centers around the testimony concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. That it's all about Him and what He has done. Friends, if that is true then you and I ought to be a people who are quick to worship the Lord and to look to our heavenly bridegroom and to anticipate the day of our wedding. You've been invited. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been invited. Are you looking ahead to that coming day? Are you communing with your Lord now? Are you being encouraged by the reality of the wedding that yet awaits? Are you seeking to live a life to his glory even now? Might we do so together as a church in anticipation of that coming day? Let's pray together. Lord, our God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this picture of the wedding supper of the Lamb. We thank you for the assurance that even as we are the betrothed bride of Christ, that even as Christ has bought us with his own precious blood, so surely there is also a wedding day that yet awaits. Prepare our souls, we pray, for that great day. Give us, Lord, a real sense of expectation and joy as we look ahead to it. We pray, Lord, that on this day that any who do not know you, uh, maybe those for whom religion is just a matter of going through certain motions rather than in faith trusting in Jesus Christ, Lord, would you so humble them this day that they would long to be a part of this coming wedding day and would look in faith to Christ now. Oh, Lord, thank you for the glory that yet awaits. Thank you for the depths and the greatness of your love. Thank you for this love story, which is nothing less than your work in saving sinners. Bless us now.